Well, it's a real uh, joy and a privilege uh, to be with you here uh, at Grace London. I just love uh, church plants, and it's just really awesome uh, to see you guys meeting up here. I've, I've preached in many different settings, but I'm, I'm trying to think uh, if there was another one with a suspended ball in the ceiling. I, I, I can't remember it, so th- this, this could be a, a first for me. But just uh, really excited about what you guys are doing, uh, really excited about the faith that God's uh, placed in your heart for London and your passion to want to engage with this great city. Uh, Yesterday, I uh, took my son and the two guests with me on a Christian heritage tour of London, and it was just uh, a real privilege to hear about men and women over the centuries in this great city who have trusted God and have sacrificed uh, for the common good and for the glory of God. And uh, just being with you guys in worship just senses that same uh, desire to see uh, God's name glorified uh, in, in, in this great city. So it's my prayer uh, this afternoon that I'll be able to make just a, a small uh, contribution to that. If you've got your Bibles, could you please turn to uh, 2 Corinthians two Corinthians. Uh, Chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading from uh, verse 8. I've, I'm reading out of the NIV 84, just because that was the first Bible I got, and I haven't, I haven't moved on yet, so <laughs> please, please forgive me. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul writes the following, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayer of many. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we come to your word this afternoon. Lord, we pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would speak to us. And we pray that you would strengthen us. Amen. I want to look at this passage under three headings. Firstly, uh, gospel honesty. Secondly, gospel breadth. And thirdly, gospel power. Gospel honesty, gospel breadth, and gospel uh, power. Let's begin with gospel honesty. For us to really fully appreciate what's going on uh, in this passage, we really need to understand the context. 1 and 2 Corinthians were letters that Paul wrote to a church that he'd helped found, and a church that he had great affection for. In his first letter, he needed to bring uh, some uh, correction to some immature practices uh, that were taking place uh, in the Corinthian church. But in the second letter, he's really needing to give a defense uh, for his ministry. While Paul has been away, there have been other leaders that have come in that have been more impressive, kind of X-factor kind of leaders. And uh, these leaders, in fact, in this letter are referred to as super apostles. And uh, kind of Paul's fatherly role uh, in this church is now being questioned. Uh, We know uh, from 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10 that some referred to him as unimpressive uh, in person. And so really what What 2 Corinthians is about is Paul really needing to defend his role in the church. But I want to suggest to you that he begins in a rather unusual way. 
this church is saying, Paul, you're not really impressive. We're not really um, wild by you. You don't seem to have that X factor. And, and now Paul's writing this letter to defend himself, and he begins like this. Hey, guys, uh, I don't want you to be uninformed about the pro- problems we had in the province of Asia. We, we, we were, uh, you know, we were f- under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. And if you're reading, you're thinking this is a crazy defense because they're saying, Paul, you're weak and unimpressive. And Paul begins his defense by saying, actually, you don't know the half of it. You, 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 you think I'm weak, you think I'm unimpressive, but actually you have no idea of how unimpressive I really am. You, you think I'm weak, but you don't realize how weak I am. Actually, that in my heart, I have felt the sentence of death. And right out the gate in this letter, Paul is communicating that he is under great pressure. This, this, this is crazy, is it not? Um, I mean, when, when you begin reading this letter, you just want to pull Paul aside and just say, Paul, it, it really doesn't work like that. This, this, is, this isn't the way you're going to win them over. I don't know what it's like in London, but, but, but my guess is it's, it, it's kind of like Cape Town uh, to, to an exponential. In, in Cape Town, if you want to get anywhere in Cape Town, you, you need to bring something of value, correct? And so if you want to get into the top universities, you need to do really well and get really good grades, and, and then you can get into those universities. Or if you want to buy in the really right areas of the town, you need to bring a, like a truckload of cash along in order to get into that really nice place. If you want to get into the good sporting team, you need to have lots of sporting ability to be able to get into that. And if you want to get into those smart, uh, exclusive clubs, you really really need to know the right person to get you. And you need to bring something of value uh, to to the setup. My guess is it's exactly the same like that in London, correct? Some of the best universities in the world. If you want to get in, you have to have incredibly, incredibly good uh, grades. If you want to get into those uh, top neighborhoods, a ridiculous amount of money. And if you want to get into those really famous, classy clubs, and like some of you are thinking, what, what clubs? My, my point exactly. You, you need to be well connected in order to be able to get, get into them. That, that's how the world system works. You bring something of value and you get in. And in fact, that's how most other religions work. The way that you get in is you bring something of value. You bring your moral performance. You, you bring your good behavior. You, you, you bring your religious CV, and then you get in. So for Paul to begin his letter by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about how weak I really am. It's just like, Paul, you are committing celebrity suicide here. You do want them to be uninformed. That's how it works. You want them to be uninformed about your weaknesses. The way is you present your strengths and you airbrush your weaknesses. Like, like some of you are still studying and you're going to have to go for interviews. And, and like you can get training for how to do a job interview. Because invariably in a job interview, they're going to ask you, so tell, tell us about your weakness. And the guys that coach people for the interviews, this is what they recommend. If you ask what is your weakness, you kind of pause look to the right and think about it and say, you know, one of my weaknesses that people say about me is that I just, I really work so hard. I work too much. I find myself getting too devoted to the job. I just can't separate my work from the rest. It just like, it becomes all consuming. And I'm, I just know I've kind of got to work on my boundaries better. That, that, that's what they'll coach you to do. Because you never talk about a real weakness, right? No, no, you've got to present your best. You want to airbrush the weaknesses. So what, what, what's going on here? What's going on here? Why, why is Paul doing this? 
Paul is doing this intentionally because he wants this church to understand that the very basis and the very foundation for its existence is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is completely different to the ways of the world. The way that you get into Christianity isn't by presenting your CV and rolling out your credentials and showing people how good you are. The way that you get in is by declaring bankruptcy. You get in when you realize that actually there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself in order to save and qualify yourself. It's only when you're willing to admit that you can't rescue yourself, that there's no righteousness that you can do that would qualify you. It's only when you're willing to admit your bankruptcy and turn to Christ that you can be saved and rescued. In the ways of the world, you get into the university or the club or the sporting team or the suburb if you bring something of value. In Christianity, you only get in when you're willing to declare bankruptcy. And friends, the Corinthian church wanted the foundation of their relationship with Paul to be a performance relationship. Paul, you need to tell us how impressive and amazing you are. And Paul knew that if he engaged in that, he would contradict the very message that he was bringing. So they're saying you're weak and unimpressive. And Paul says, you don't know the half of it. And I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I want you to know about my desperate need for the gospel. That I... The great apostle needed to be saved and rescued by Jesus himself. I, I, I was desperate for Christ's saving and rescuing work in my life. It, it may be that you're here this afternoon and, and, and a friend brought you along. And, and um, the, one of the reasons why you were reluctant to come to church is because you, you, really, uh, you really don't want to spend a beautiful uh, Sunday afternoon hanging out with people that, that really are morally outperform others. And, and I can understand that. They're, 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 you know, they're, it's possible to think of Christians and to, to, to think of a church as a kind of a, a Mary Poppins club. You, 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 remember, you remember the famous movie where there's this uh, famous scene where Mary Poppins is first introduced to the kids that she's going to look after. And she's got this, this magical measuring tape that can uh, discern the, two, the true character of whoever it measures. So Mary Poppins takes the measure and measures the first child and then, then reads it, extremely stubborn and suspicious. And then, and then, then, then measures the second child, I, I guess the gender. Rather inclined to giggle, doesn't put things away. And, and so she's measured both of the kids and, 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 the, and the boy, like not, not, not very impressed with the whole gig here, says... Well, what about you? You know, why don't you measure yourself? And so Mary Poppins takes the measuring tape, pulls it up, measures herself, and then puts it out and says, Yes, just as I expected. Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. And for so many people, the reason why you don't want to go to church, the, the reason why you don't want to be Christian is just because you don't want to hang out with people that basically think that they are practically perfect in every way. And the church is the gathering of people who think that they're practically perfect in every way. They think it. I mean, we know they're not really practically perfect in any way. But in their own mind, it's just as I expected, practically perfect in every way. And friends, when the church of Jesus Christ becomes the gathering of the practically perfect people in every way, then we, we are actually fundamentally undermining the very message that we're seeking to proclaim. Because at the very heart of the gospel is that we are not practically perfect in every way. And that we, we absolutely need to be saved and rescued. 
we, we absolutely need to get off the performance treadmill and realize that left to ourselves, we cannot save ourselves. And that actually we need to be saved and rescued by Jesus. Friends, if we understand this gospel truth, we'll understand that when we relate to others, we do not need to manage the truth. We simply need to tell the truth. Because we need to understand that we have been saved and rescued through the work of Christ, not through our own work. And His work should release us to tell the truth without the fear of eternal uh, rejection. Secondly, the effect of embracing a gospel truth is really to understand that we no longer, through embracing Christ, we no longer need to be driven and spend our lives needing to justify ourselves and needing to prove ourselves and needing to qualify ourselves. In Philippians, we get this wonderful description where Paul lists out his spiritual CV and then he says, actually, you know, all of this is actually rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Actually, the, the irony is Paul could have defended himself. He actually was a brilliant man, but he understood that in light of Christ and in light of the gospel, actually all of that stuff was rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. just want to ask you this afternoon. Has the gospel released you from the need to prove yourself, from the need to justify yourself, from the need to qualify yourself. At the very deepest part of your soul, are you at rest because actually you've been qualified by another or do you constantly feel like you need to qualify yourself? That you constantly need to prove yourself? You constantly need to justify yourself? The gospel message is there to set you free. The second thing that I want to look at uh, this afternoon is at gospel breadth. Gospel breadth. The thing that I love about the Bible is how honest it is and how the vision that the Bible casts for life is big enough really to embrace all of life. For some folk, the only paradigm that they can live in is what I would call the God of the good stuff. So when good things are happening, it's just like my universe is synced. I I can make sense of life. I got the job. I got the boyfriend. I got the raise. God is good. Let's praise the Lord. But when things go wrong, then all of a sudden our universe gets out of sync. And then all of a sudden our, our kind of Christian walk doesn't seem to make sense. Now, Before I be misunderstood, I I want to be clear that God is the God of the good stuff. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light. So let's not not misunderstand that. But the wonderful thing about the Bible is that as we read it, we discover that God is so large and in charge that He's not just the God of the good things in our lives. Actually, Uh, He is sovereign and in control over all things, which means that he can actually use the bad things and the difficult things in our lives for his glory and for our good. Paul here in 2 Corinthians describes really an absolutely terrible time that he has experienced uh, in the province of Asia. And yet, as he reflects on it, he realizes that actually God was at work. Actually, there was a redemptive purpose 
for his pain. But let's, let's, not, let's not jump over his pain too quickly. Let, let's notice what he says. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Have you, have you been in a setup like that before? Where you're under great pressure. It's just like a really pressurized time. And that, that actually you find yourself in a context which is beyond your ability to enduring. So it's not just that you're pressurized, but actually it's outside of your control, outside of your ability. I'm just like over my head here. I, I just can't handle this pressure. So he's, he's under a lot of pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Now, this, this, this is serious. We can kind of gloss over this and just kind of carry on reading. But Paul is saying he's in a very pressurized situation. It's far beyond his ability to endure, so that actually in his heart he felt the sentence of death. He, he, he was in, in such a difficult place that he, that he despaired even of life. That that's how difficult and that's how hard it was. But Paul goes on to say that all of this happened. There, there, there was a purpose in this. All of this happened so that he might not rely on himself, but on God who raises the dead. He, as he looks back, he, he understands that there was a redemptive purpose through it all. Friends, it's very easy for us to see God's hand when things are going well. It's very easy to trust God when everything is lining up for us. It's quite another thing to be able to say when things are tough and things are difficult, actually God's in control and I'm going to really trust Him to arrange and orchestrate events for His glory and for my good. See, Paul understood that God wasn't just the God of the good stuff, but that actually God is in control of all of life. In fact, in Romans 8.28, Paul writes the following. He says, For we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, now what's the, the very tough word in that sentence? For we know that in all things. In all things. Seriously, Paul? In all things? That God's working for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose? You, 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 you can't mean all things. Like if, if your life's going very well, you might be thinking, well, maybe, Paul, you meant in most things God is working for the good. But, but, but if you've had a bad week here, this is going to be, seriously? Shouldn't it be, Paul? We, and we know that in, in, in some things God is working for the good, but, but, but not all things. You can't mean all things. Because if it's all things, then it's that thing. And it can't be that thing. That thing that happened, that thing can't be part of God working for my good and for His glory. So He can't mean all things. It can't be all things, because if it's all things, then it's that thing. But Paul does say all things. Paul does say all things. Which is why one theologian said you can actually fairly translate Romans 8.28 to mean when everything is going wrong, actually everything is going right. Friends, can I just suggest to you that you don't need a very big God for Him to work the good things in your life for good. In fact, I could actually stand up this afternoon and say, I would like to play a role of God in your life, and this is what I'm going to offer you. I promise that I will work the good for good in your life. I could assert that. Because I think I could execute that. If it's going to be good in your life, 
It's going to be good. And that's the thing that I want to offer you for. And very many people settle for that dinky-sized kind of God. The God who works the good in my life for good. But Paul's God is way bigger than that. Paul's God doesn't work just the good for the good. Paul's God works the bad for the good. He works all for the good. So that when everything is going wrong, when it seems like a complete mess, when everything's going wrong, actually everything is going right. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the, problem, the troubles we had in the province of Asia, far beyond our ability to endure, so that in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God's got a redemptive work. And friends, Paul didn't just write this stuff. He lived this stuff out. When we felt the sentence of death, actually we trust in God. When I'm in the jail and I've been whipped, beaten and severely flogged, I'm praising God. I'm trusting God. Friends, if, if we would have a biblical view of God, if we would embrace the God of the Bible, it, would ha- it will have a transforming effect on your life. It will transform the way that you experience the very difficult things in your life. It will transform the way you experience them. Now, by God's grace, I don't, I don't feel like I have been through a lot of difficult things in my life. But, but when I have been through some difficult things, as I've looked back on it, what I have realized is actually God is at work. Actually, God has been at work. Probably one of the most challenging things I faced growing up was that um, when I was uh, 15 years old, uh, my parents separated and... Um, Shortly after that, my, um, my mother remarried. And uh, if you've ever been through uh, your parents getting divorced, you'll know that um, it's quite normal if you're relatively young to actually feel responsible for the act of your parents getting divorced, even as illogical as that would seem. It is nevertheless uh, a, a very common experience that children go through, and that was certainly my experience. You, you feel responsible uh, for your uh, parents' divorce. And I, I can remember feeling uh, a great sense of guilt and shame as a result of my parents getting divorced. So much so that actually for a, a, a fair period of time, I didn't actually tell anybody. Not, not, not even my closest friends knew that my parents had got divorced. And I, I can remember a time about six months uh, after my parents had got divorced and my, my, my mother had just been uh, remarried, uh, that we were required to bring a slip back for school. It was the, 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 the good old days when uh, it wasn't electronic uh, newsletters, but you'd have actual, literal, hard copies, and your parents would need to fill out the details, sign it, and then you would pull off the slip, and then you would take the slip into class uh, to uh, show that your parents had indeed read the letter and, and understood what needed to happen. And so my mother uh, filled out the slip, and then signed it with a new surname. I tore off the slip of paper and um, went to class, and then the, the class captain came around, who was a good friend of mine, a, a very bright guy, uh, as it happens. So he's, he's coming around the class, get, gets my slip, looks at my slip, and he goes, Stephen, stop messing around, man. Your, your, your parents need to, need to fill in the slip. And, and I said, uh, yeah, my, my parent did. And he said, oh, stop, stop messing around. Come, come on, you, 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 you know, it's either your mom or dad needs to fill out the slip. It can't be somebody else. And I said, yeah, yeah, they have. 
And he said, no, no, they, they need to do it. And I said, no, no, they have. And uh, he just kind of realized, oh, hang on, <laughs> there, there, there's, there's something going on here that I don't know about. And so he moved on. I just remember being kind of just deeply humiliated in the moment. Very soon after my parents got divorced, I actually came to Christ. And actually, the portion of Scripture that I can remember God speaking to me through uh, for the very first time was actually uh, in 2 Corinthians 1 and just a few verses before. I, I remember reading in verse 3 where Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And I remember reading that uh, as just a new Christian, and it was just like a a double blessing to me. The first blessing was, actually, we, we don't have a God who's removed and insensitive and doesn't care. We've actually got a God of compassion, a God of all comfort. It was incredible. It's just like, oh, so God actually cares. I'm not going through this nightmare. This seems dark and difficult, but actually God cares. He is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God cares. And, and, and that's like when you're in a dark and difficult place to know that God cares is massive good news. But actually it was better than just God cares. It was better than that. It was better than God just cares. It was actually God wants to deal with you, Stephen. He wants to heal you up. He wants to fill you with his love and compassion, not just for you. You're not going to become the cul-de-sac of the blessing, but actually I'm going to help you so that you can help others in whatever trouble they may be facing. It may, may not be the same thing. They may not be going, like their parents may not be getting divorced, maybe something else. But you, you're going to taste the reality of the God of compassion and the Father of all comfort. You, you're going to experience that God. And because you've had a first-hand experience with that God, you're going to be able to help others that are going through that experience. And it was just like, wow. Wow. Not only can God help me, but God can so help me that I can help others. I'm not the victim here. I'm going to experience God in order that I can help others. This is incredible. This is everything's going wrong, but actually everything's going right. Why? Because God is real and God's alive and God cares. And God redeems. He's the champion redeemer. Remember when I had uh, been uh, leading the eldership team at Jubilee just for uh, nine months, and um, just about to go to bed, and just as I was uh, about to go to bed, my wife Anna said to me, how are you feeling? And I, I said to my wife, I said, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit stressed out, to be honest. So she said, why? So I said, well, our former uh, pastor, Simon Pettit, I said, well, you know, Simon's kind of, uh, I know he's handed over to me, but he's kind of been around for the last nine months to really help me find my feet and that. And really the next three months he's going to be away loads and I'm just kind of feeling the weight of I'm going to need to lead this thing without him being around for three months and I'm just, I'm kind of feeling the pressure of that. We had that conversation, fell asleep. I woke up at uh, just after six in the morning with a phone call. I picked up the phone. It was a pastor from New Zealand saying that Simon Pettit had... uh, was participating in a soccer match that afternoon and had fallen over with a heart attack and died. And, and I, 
I, I can just remember that whole event. It, it, it just felt like somebody had just you know, punched me in the stomach. After I put down the phone, I, just, I really just fell to the ground and wept. Simon was a spiritual father and a, a mentor to me and was just uh, a, a very, um, you know, just, just the kind of news you never want to hear. And my wife, Anna, and I had to go and uh, tell his wife, Lindsay, the news uh, that, 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 he had, that he had passed away. Friends, the good news of the Bible is this, that at your darkest hour, at the kind of experience that you're going through that you would never write for yourself, you'd never want for yourself, the good news is that actually when everything is going wrong and it seems like a complete turmoil and a complete mess, actually there is a redeemer. There is a true and living God who cares, who is active and involved and is able to take dark and difficult things and mix them in and actually turn them for good. Can I ask you the question this afternoon? What, what, what's the difficulty you're currently facing? What's the thing on your horizon? Is it, is it relocating back home? Well, what, what, what's, what's the thing that's on your horizon that just seems impossible? Friends, c- can I encourage you from the message of Scripture that God cares, He's in control, and that He wants to arrange and orchestrate events for your good and for His glory? And instead of fretting, and instead of being anxious, God wants to call you this afternoon to trust Him. There is gospel breadth. God is big enough to be able to handle the difficult things in your life. And friends, although you may initially want to push back against that, I just want to say that is just the best news out there. The best news out there is that God isn't a small God. He's a mighty and a sovereign God. And that He's a God not just of the good stuff, but He's the God of all stuff. And He's able to arrange and orchestrate things for His glory and for your good. So firstly, uh, we, we see this gospel honesty. Secondly, gospel breadth. And finally, gospel power. Paul, having shared his own personal weakness and pointing us to Jesus and his control over all things, then testifies to God's ability to turn around uh, our darkest situation. Notice verses 9 and 10. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. In two verses, uh, Paul asserts that God can deliver us, He has delivered us, and He will deliver us. Now, where does Paul get this amazing uh, confidence from? Well, 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 Paul gets to a point of amazing confidence, but, but he needs to go through the gate, and, and, and the gate is painful. Let, let, let's just rewind the tape. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles we, we experience in the province of Asia far beyond our ability to, to endure, so that indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Here comes the day gate. But this happened, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God put Paul through some serious pressure and challenge and difficulty in order to wean Paul off himself 
and onto God. The redemptive work that God was doing in Paul's life was to get him off himself and to get him onto God. And I just want to suggest to you that self-reliance presents really well. Self-reliance presents really well. Self-reliance is hardworking. Self-reliance is diligent. Self-reliance is focused. But self-reliance is running on your strength rather than on God's strength. It's very interesting that in Jeremiah 17, we get this description of the blessed life. The blessed life is pictured like a tree planted by a stream. It's evergreen. It's drought-proof. It's always bearing fruit. And Jeremiah 17 tells us that actually this blessed life is reserved for those who trust in the Lord and put their confidence in God. But then in in Jeremiah 17, you don't just get the blessed life, you get the cursed life. The cursed life is characterized by barrenness, by dissatisfaction, by loneliness. And you would think, oh yeah, okay, okay, so the good life for those who trust in the Lord, and then the bad, the the, the cursed life is is, is for the licentious, obviously, for the the wicked, for, for the ungodly. Surely that's who gets the cursed life, and it's actually not. In Jeremiah 17, it simply reads, cursed is the one who trusts in man who depends on flesh for his strength. The cursed life is the life of self-reliance, the life lived in our own strength. No wonder Jesus tells us in John 15 that apart from him, we can do nothing. Friends, can I ask you the question this afternoon? Who are you trusting in? Where does your confidence lie? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in yourself? Friends, it's, it's, it's possible to be running hard. It's possible even to be running for Jesus and yet still be running on your own strength. God doesn't actually want you to be running on your own strength. It's not just that we're saved by grace, but that actually we are to live with the reality of God empowering us to do the very work that he has called us to. This understanding is absolutely critical if we're to make any progress, which is why Paul concludes this letter in 2 Corinthians 12 by saying the following, Three times I I pleaded with the Lord to take away this thorn on the flesh, but God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I will delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, Paul knew the reality of Christ's power resting on him. In Colossians 1.28, he says, We labor with all his energy, which works so powerfully within me. Friends, the Christian walk isn't meant to be about you pulling God, you towing him along, all the requirements that God asks of us. It's so, it's so difficult and it's, it's so tough. No, no, no. Actually, the, the, the Christian experience should rather be like water ski, where we get empowered, we get propelled forward by a power source That's outside of ourselves. The Christian message isn't about pull up your socks, try harder. It's actually about God coming, not just forgiving us by 
by grace, but actually empowering us by grace to do the very things that he has called us to. Do, do you know this gospel power? Friends, I, 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 I meet and talk to so many Christians who can get a 100% test uh, on, on a quiz on justification by faith. That they, they like intellectually absolutely understand grace, but their lives are fried because they can pass the test, but they don't know the reality of Christ's power resting on them. God doesn't want us just to understand grace. He actually wants us to live by grace and be empowered by grace, that Christ's power may rest on us. And I want to conclude uh, this section just by, by praying for us. I know we're going to go into a time of breaking of bread. Uh, you don't need to stand. I just want to pray for you, for each one of us, that we would be empowered by Christ to live the life that God has called us to live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this church. Lord, I want to thank you for Grace London. And I want to thank you for the great work that you want to do in the great city of London. But Lord, we just want to acknowledge before you that apart from you, we can do nothing. We know that one can plant and another can water, but only you make things grow. Lord, we pray that your power would rest on us for the work that we want to see established in London. Lord, I pray it really would be Grace London brought into existence through the gospel, sustained by the gospel for the renewal of all things by the gospel. Lord, I ask you for that. Lord, I pray for the reality of your empowering presence. Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would be the common testimony here that God empowered us to do the work that he's called us to, that it's by his power that we labor. We work harder than anybody else, but not us. The grace of God working within us. Lord, I pray that this would be a community that truly trusts you, that their confidence, Lord, wouldn't be in themselves, but their confidence would be in you. Lord, I ask you for that. And Lord, I pray for any here, Lord, who are going through a dark and difficult space in their lives. Lord, I pray that in this moment that they would choose to trust you, not charge you, not withdraw from you, but trust you, knowing that you're the one that is working all things together for their good and for your glory. I really ask this in your name and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen.